So welcome to our Ask the Experts uh, summertime session with Dr. John Shriver. Running a little bit late, so I'm not gonna spend time with any additional announcements, just uh, to welcome you. Uh, be ready for the, this wave that's coming in. I think John is gonna try to prepare us as much as we can. And Connecticut Children's is here for you uh, as we move into this uh, fourth or fifth wave of the month number 20 of the pandemic. So, so John, uh, why don't you take it over? Thank you, Juan. Uh, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, I wish I could say I was happy to be here to talk about COVID, but I'm actually not. Um, but it is what it is. And there's a lot to cover today. I'm going to try to get through it. And we're also going to leave time for questions. But there is a lot going on that all of us as providers, patients, parents um, really need to know about. So the Delta variant sweeping the world now. And all I think the message should be, if you look at this chart, this is sort of a graphic of the R value. Remember, I've been telling you from the beginning for 20 months, the virus is not a political animal. The virus is all about math, the reproduction and, and uh, spread. And you can see the Delta virus is about uh, R values, about three times what the original Wuhan virus R value was. So on average, five to eight additional individuals will be infected from a single Delta infected individual who's unprotected. It's a very contagious uh, variant and it's changed the dynamic. It's spreading uh, very quickly, much more quickly than previous strains. So that's what we need to know. And that's what patients and parents and citizens need to know. It's different. I don't need to go into the microbiology of the specific protein mutations on the spike protein. We can do that another time, but this is the problem. The Delta variant is much more contagious and infectious than the original Wuhan and alpha strains. Now there is a market variant uh, resurgence in the United States caused by the Delta variant. And virtually at this point, it's 90% plus of every new case is Delta variant. You can see, and I'll, I don't know if my pointer's working. Uh, it is, look at that. So, uh, you know, 100,000 plus new cases a day in the United States. And I, I just shake my head. I think the majority of these were preventable. Uh, it is what it is, um, but this is what we're facing. More, more, more importantly, actually, are the hospitalizations. And the hospitalizations across the United States are heading to 100,000 individuals to be hospitalized with COVID. The vast majority of these are unimmunized individuals driving this new epidemic. Uh, it's just fact. And I think uh, these hospitalizations, these 100,000 soon hospitalizations, were for the vast majority preventable had people been immunized. Uh, I think it's the uh, American uh, public health tragedy of the 21st century, uh, not to have been able to mobilize as a single team to take care of this. It is what it is and we're gonna have to manage it, but we need to keep this in mind because it continues. The death rate is blunted so far, but remember in the last four resurgences, the death rate lags by about four to six weeks because the incubation period, 10 to 14 days, it can be 10 to 14 days spread out to, to spread it. So you can see in August, the United States death rate is climbing to be in the hundreds per day. It had been very low for a month or so. And uh, unfortunately it's gonna continue to climb because the hospitalizations represent a lot of people in the ICU and many of those people do not survive once you're in the ICU and intubated. So the death rate's climbing. And once again, these are primarily unimmunized individuals. This was preventable. Now, the U USA immunizations aren't bad, but they are not nearly near herd immunity threshold. You can see 
our success has really been the elderly, 65 and above, about 80% have been fully immunized. And that is a national success. Adults, 18 and above, about 62%. It would have been nice to get to 70 and 80 there. And then as you get younger, we do less and less well. I think the all ages is a little unfair because it includes individuals who cannot yet be immunized. So I tend to do the 12 and up as an indication of how well we're doing. It's pretty mediocre. Uh, in the adolescent and young adult group, not too bad uh, in the older groups and very good in the elderly. So that's where we are with immunizations. We have work to do. Now, the best immunized states include mostly New England and the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, you've got Hawaii and Vermont uh, doing quite well. Uh, Vermont actually is the best in the United States, uh, but Connecticut's up there. About 75% of adults are fully vaccinated, ditto in Massachusetts. And it is the reason that our Delta outbreak in New England is not as severe as it is, is in the rest of the country. You know, this has been a success. It doesn't mean we're not going to have a problem, but it will be blunted compared to the other states who are under immunized. The worst immunized states, Georgia, South Carolina, most of the Southeast, some of the Dakotas uh, and Wyoming. And these are all states, as you will see, I'll tell, pick out one. Florida is, in that, uh, is getting better, actually. They're no longer among the worst immunized. And these states are all having very serious outbreaks with Delta. In fact, in uh, Alabama yesterday, there was not an ICU bed open in the entire state. If you get a heart attack, that's a problem. So again, once again, um, this is not a political event. This is all about the math of immunization, reducing hospitalization and deaths, and having a fully immunized population not causing problems. So um, this is the American hotspots. You can see it's concentrated in the southeast as well as including some of the southern Midwest, and then in the far western states where there's un a significant under immunization. I'm going to focus on Florida. Uh, the entire state is now a hot spot. This is, it has a almost 20% test positivity rate. Now that's on par with India when they had their Delta outbreak. I, I think I want people to wrap their arms around that, an under-resourced overpopulated country that struggled with Delta, Florida is heading in the same direction, uh, completely avoidable. And unfortunately, the public health leadership uh, has been intimately politicized and created as, has created this problem. And I think we all need to look that in the eye. We cannot deny it. I'm going to show you some data on this. It is really a problem. 20% test positivity in Florida. If you are thinking of going there, I would suggest seek alternative vacation spots. Now, this is the new reported cases in Florida, 40,000 cases a day. It's about, you know, on some days, it's half of what's happening in the United States. So it's an uncontrolled outbreak, um, almost all Delta virus in a mediocre immunized population. Now, a lot of people have freaked out and are starting to get immunized in Florida, but it's still under immunized. So 30 to 40,000 new cases a day in Florida, uncontrolled outbreak. Now, this is really interesting. Um, I wanted the health systems, because of the impediments and the politicization of the public health department by the governor of Florida, they're now posting things on Twitter to show people the facts because they can't seem to get traction. This is fascinating. So this is Lee Health System in Southwest Florida. They have 492 admissions for COVID in the hospital. Only 70 of them were vaccinated individuals. So you can do that math. If you are vaccinated, you are much, much less likely in Florida to be admitted. Now look at the ICU. They have 81 people in the ICU for COVID. Only three of them are immunized. 
So you're, if you're immunized, you're highly unlikely to get sick enough to end up in the ICU and die. These are great data. These are real-time data from last week that they posted, August 13th on Twitter, because they're so frustrated uh, with state's public health uh, leadership and fairness, I would say, with the governor, let's be frank. And then if you look at the people on ventilators, they have 48 people with COVID on ventilators. A lot of them are gonna die. Only three of those were immunized. So again, we can look people in the eye and say, these are real-time data. If you're immunized, you are unlikely to end up in the ICU and on a ventilator and then thus die. Uh, and so I, you can't get any clearer than that. And they posted this on Twitter so as many people as possible could see this uh, and understand the situation in Florida. Every hospital bed is filled. Now, on the first page of the Florida DPH website to show the craziness when you politicize public health, well, what's the right answer in Florida right now? Wear a mask, don't go inside unless you have to, get immunized. Really simple public health advice. All you need to do, right? We're gonna give monoclonal antibodies to anybody who was exposed. Now, you know, A, it's not possible to do that. For us, you know, we, str we struggle to give one antibody infusion because you have to set up the room, it's expensive, all of this. Treatment is free, uh, back, you don't, we don't care if you're vaccinated or not, we'll give you monoclonals. I, I think, you know, this is a, a great part of the armamentarium of what we should do, but it should not be the first thing you're gonna do. And if you look through their website, they've de-emphasized there's only one picture of wearing a mask on the entire website. But this is a tragedy. This is not a cost-effective way to, to deal with an epidemic. You'd like to prevent the cases with wearing a mask, social distancing, and getting immunized. Giving monoclonal antibodies is not going to break the epidemic in Florida. Florida immunizations, the golden, you know, the silver lining, they are improving. So they've got 60% of the 18 and above. It's a dramatic improvement in the last three weeks. People are beginning to respond and understanding they have a serious problem. And unless they get immunized, they're going to get Delta and they have a good chance of ending up in the hospital with it. So that's improving and it's a silver lining. However, in the middle of that, the governor is trying to block any company from saying everyone has to get immunized in my company. Hospitals, uh, you name it, he's trying to block any mandates that companies or healthcare systems uh, have their individuals get immunized to protect their patients. He's blocking that. So this is craziness. I, I can't say any other word than that. Um, and it's one of the reasons Florida is heading to the condition that India was during the Delta outbreak. Now, Connecticut, uh, heavily immunized Connecticut so far has a moderate resurgence, but we need to be vigilant. We have a 3.5% test positivity rate. That's a dramatic increase from 0.5 or so a month or so ago. You can see the case numbers are increasing, uh, and they're increasing rapidly. Uh, so we need to be very vigilant. However, the number of people in the hospital from COVID is still small, but you can see the curve. We had almost nobody in the hospital a month ago. Now we've got a couple of hundred. I think it's about 250 today. So, you know, we have a Delta resurgence in the state of Connecticut, and we're going to need to manage that. And denial is probably not the way to do it. I'll give you an example. I went into Bruger's Bagel in one of, the, one of those towns, I think, out heading towards Massachusetts, maybe Simsbury. And I walked in there, I had my mask on. The sign says, we really prefer you wear a mask if you come in here. And all the provider, all the healthcare servers have masks on. They're really good. And I go in there and there's a 50-ish year old woman and her like 90-year-old father in there with no masks. 
And I'm saying, you know, what are you thinking? The 90-year-old, even if he is immunized, he's, you know, he's one of those subject to getting Delta. And if you look at the breakthrough infections and in immunized, it's the elderly who are getting sick with breakthrough infections. Most everyone doesn't. So if you just watch the news for five minutes, you would know that. But they were, they were sort of deliberately a little bit in your face without masks. And I just shake my head, you know, uh, it is what it is. But it's really preventable to spread Delta in Connecticut. And we need to respond to these numbers. The death rate is blessing. It's very low. And in my belief, that's because we have a heavily immunized population, particularly in nursing homes uh, and other places of vulnerable populations. We need to keep this death rate low. That's our job. Let's prevent death and morbidity from this epidemic. And I think that's going to involve continuing our immunization push. We do have under immunized cities and communities in Connecticut still and in New England. And we need to get those immunization rates up. And that way, this death rate will stay low, even though we have a resurgence. Now, here you can see, I showed you this map a month or so ago, and it was all gray, which means we had no community spread. It was kind of a lovely month, but that's gone. And now you can see we have a number of townships uh, with a lot of community transmission. Uh, I think red is more than 15 new cases per 100,000. That is a lot. So you can assume I think almost any town you go into in Connecticut right now that there's widespread community transmission of Delta. The latest data, by the way, almost every isolate in Connecticut is Delta. So it's, that's what's spreading and that's why it's spreading so effectively. You saw that first slide, it's very contagious. So now let's talk about um, breakthrough infections. It's a very hot topic. Some of the data are pretty interesting. We know breakthroughs are happening because the neutralizing antibody level, which is here, these are breakthrough cases in vaccinated healthcare workers, compared to non-breakthrough case controls who are immunized, they have lower neutralizing antibody levels. And so the antibodies fade over time. Now this is pre-Delta variant data, but I do wanna point out one finding in this paper, it's from the New England Journal a couple of weeks ago. Most had few symptoms, but 19% of the healthcare workers who had breakthrough infection who were immunized had persistent symptoms for more than six weeks. And I'm getting asked that, well, if I get Delta, could I get long hauler, even though I've been immunized, right? That's gonna prevent long haul syndrome. The answer is we don't know. And I think that is a word of caution. We don't know, and it might not be a great idea to get Delta, even if you have a mild case. At least um, this is an alpha variant not even with Delta, they found there was a lot of persistent symptoms. Uh, so it's possible this could be the same thing with Delta breakthroughs, we don't know. Now, um, this data I, I showed you a few weeks ago, but this is why the FDA um, and CDC are recommending a third dose of vaccine for transplant recipients. In these data, you can see here with, um, let's see, there we go you can see you get a tremendous increase in neutralizing antibodies after a third dose uh, of vaccine. And these are immunocompromised transplant patients. These are very high titers. And the answer is three doses works. Thus, the recommendation that FDA authorizes additional vaccine doses for immunocompromised individuals. And what they said was that they wanted equivalent immunosuppression to solid organ transplant. Now, obviously, um, that's going to be interpreted by primary care and specialists in terms of who is subject uh, to be immunocompromised at a similar level to a solid organ transplant. Unfortunately, we do not have any data 
uh, for immunocompromised who got the J&J vaccine in a single dose. I know those data are being reviewed by the FDA currently. I suspect a booster of some sort will be recommended, but we do not have data yet. So no booster at the moment is recommended for immunocompromised who got the J&J vaccine. Now we're also notice, uh, I put it in the bottom there, just added that, um, after more than eight months out, starting in September, booster doses are gonna be recommended across the United States. We do not know how that's gonna roll out in Connecticut and the DPH in Connecticut and all of the New England states are beginning to figure out, do we do nursing homes and elderly first, healthcare providers, how are we gonna roll out these booster doses for people who have been immunized more than eight months ago? But I think this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing because I've shown you over the months that immunity, the neutralizing antibody titers do decline uh, over months. And apparently the Delta virus is going to require more neutralizing antibodies to prevent illness. Now, um, I didn't wanna really present this because the news is already, shall we say, challenging. But this is interesting. This is a, an unpublished, not peer reviewed study from Chile with the Lambda variant, which is now infecting everyone in Chile. So you know it's gonna be elsewhere. And um, this is very interesting data. What they found was that the um, Lambda variant has, re it's more a problematic than the Delta variant because the neutralizing antibody effect titers are not very good from immunized people in Chile. So there's, there are a lot of breakthroughs and the Lambda variant is the most resistant neutralizing antibody. However, remember, this is not using the mRNA vaccines. It's not using the J&J vaccine. This is CoronaVac, which is a different vaccine. I have very little data about it. And that was was used in Chile. So at least with this vaccine, the Lambda variant is even more problematic than the Delta variant. So this is going to require very close watching on our part and continued vigilance as this variant, which doesn't appear to be as infectious as the Delta variant, which is a, a good thing. So, but keep watch, this may become relevant to us in the United States. Now I've got, I got a lot of emails. Well, Moderna is better than Pfizer. The, the, the Mayo Clinic said so, I gotta get Moderna, okay? Well, I, I looked at that paper and we looked at the data. I'm gonna show you these data. So it's pretty interesting. So this is, you know, cumulative incidence of COVID and if you're unimmunized, it's bad, right? <laughs> so, and if you're immunized, in fact, there was a difference between Moderna, which is very persistently good in terms of preventing any infection with COVID, and you had fading of Pfizer over time. These are, these are days, I guess to be months, you had fading of Pfizer, right? That looks, oh my God, Pfizer's not as good. Well, if you drill down a little more, I think for the important things, they're just as good. So if you look at hospitalization, which really means it's an indicator of getting sick from the COVID, not just getting a cold from it, these are very equivalent. And you can see uh, after months, they're almost identical in their 75 to 78% prevention of hospitalization from acquiring COVID. So the answer is, it looks like there might be some better effectiveness of Moderna in preventing any infection with COVID over time, but both of them, Pfizer and Moderna, are really equivalent protection from preventing hospitalization from SARS-CoV. So everyone who got Pfizer, relax, um, and, and let's move on. I wanna make a point, I, I, I showed this earlier, but natural infection does not protect against Delta variant. Um, these are individuals who are naturally infected, and, and then uh, you can see, uh, unfortunately it got cut off, 
but uh, they don't do as well uh, in terms of uh, in neutralizing antibody titers to Delta here compared to those who are immunized. So if you've been immunized, if you've been naturally infected in the past, particularly if it wasn't Delta, you are not protected. You need to be immunized. And this is for Senator Rand Paul, who continues to insist because he's been infected a year ago, he is immune. And that would not be correct, Senator Paul. These are fantastic data I wanna share with you. Another thing that you hear, I heard from Governor DeSantis, he said, everyone knows children don't get sick from COVID. You know, that's the, that's, we just gotta, that, that's the data. Well, that's not correct. And let's look at the data. This is from the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Association of America. These are great data, just came out. They pulled in statewide reports from numerous states how many kids are getting infected and what's the risk? And here is from 11 states who reported, they found that 10 to 20% of all state tests were in children, okay? So it's a lot. In 23 states, they look at hospitalizations and they found that children range from 1.6 to 3.5% of accumulated COVID hospitalizations and about 0.2 to 2% of COVID cases in children result hospitalization. So say it's 1% of kids who get COVID end up in the hospital. It's a teeny number, right? Who cares? Well, if you infect 20 million children, that's no longer a teeny number. The hospitals are filled with children, which is what's happening in the South. That's why in Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida, the children's hospitals are full because 1% of a whole lot of children getting COVID, they get end up in the hospital. Now, mortality is a blessing still even with all of this, mortality is low in children, but it is not zero. There's been about 400 deaths in the United States so far, and it looks like it's between zero in some states who've had no mortality and 0.03% resulting in death in other states. 0.03% is a small number until 10 million children are infected, and then it's hundreds. So I think it's very important that we people say, everyone knows children don't get sick. That's not correct. It's a smaller number than elderly, but when you infect millions of children, that becomes a big number very quickly. So those are the data, these are fantastic data, and uh, all of us need to be able to look people in the eye and say, hey, you know, let me explain to you the data about children in COVID-19. Now, why do children, you see those numbers, even with that, it is a risk to children, but lower than elderly, why? And we still don't understand this, but this is an intriguing paper that was just published in Nature. Uh, and what they found was that children have lower T cell responses than adults to COVID. And, uh, and I think this is probably the answer here is they have much lower CD8 cell activation and much lower, their children are red, much lower, adults are black, uh, much lower CD4 positive T cell inflammatory responses to COVID antigens. So their inflammation, inflammatory response to COVID is much lower than adults. It may be the answer. Why is this? We don't know. Is it a maturational issue with T cells and children? You know, we simply don't know, but this may be an early explanation of why children don't seem to get as sick. Most children don't seem to get as sick as adults. Now masks in school don't work. Everybody knows that, right? Well, here's a great study that would be that would be false. Here's a fantastic study. Again, go to the data. This is Duke University and UNC Chapel Hill collaborated with all of the public schools in North Carolina. It's a great study. They had a hundred school districts, okay, 
and 14 charter schools. And they looked, they collected the data, who had a mask, which school districts had masks, which didn't. Then they tracked all of the COVID cases coming out of those school districts. It's quite remarkable. They have tables of data and they found some very distinct things. So plan A are schools that had full in-person instruction, but they also had masks. And then plan B schools had hybrid instruction. So if you had proper masking in plan A, I'm gonna show you here, it was the most effective mitigation strategy to prevent COVID transmission in the schools when vaccination was unavailable, period. Masking in schools worked. It reduced the number of cases coming out of those school districts. So they also, they also let's go backwards. They also conclude that it's okay to send kids to school if you do proper mitigation and that you don't need a hybrid plan, but you actually have to have the masks and you have to have people watching and making sure that this happens and full capacity, bus transportation, everything is possible if everyone is masked. You can really have kids back in school and they have data to prove it. Unmasked didn't work so well. The COVID spread everywhere and the kids had to stay home. So you couldn't keep the schools open when everyone was unmasked. So the data are there. Masks in school work to keep the schools open and reduce the number of COVID cases in the community spreading from all through the schools. So here are the data. This is what the governor of Florida said. The Centers for Disease Control Prevention recent guidance on students and masking lacks a well-grounded scientific justification. That is a false statement. And I go back to the AAP, I mean, go back to the UNC Duke study of 100 school districts in North Carolina. This is a false statement. And I believe parents have been misled to not understand the public health issue. The schools are more likely to stay open and their child well if everyone would just mask. And if it's elective, if everything's optional, half the kids don't mask, it doesn't work, right? It's like, we're gonna reduce fatal car accidents and seatbelt use will be optional. That's not gonna work, right? Half the people won't use it and you'll have people dying from, from accidents. So it's really the same model. Everyone has to do it for it to work. Now, I do wanna get into the disinformation campaign. Um, there are small, you know, it's the old Pogo cartoon I showed you a year ago and nobody knows what Pogo is who's out there except the elderly watching. But, you know, I've seen the enemy and he is us. It's a famous Pogo cartoon. I, I didn't show it again. Well, there are a small group of physicians who are dominant among some of the COVID disinformation campaigns. There, there are 12 people all over the country who are the dominant disinformation. But a lot of them, uh, not a lot of them, some of them are doctors. Let me run through the list. Dr. Rand Paul, an ophthalmologist, a Duke University graduate, U.S. Senator from Kentucky, uh, whose spouse, by the way, invested $15,000 in Remdesivir company. Uh, uh, I'll show you what he says, in, in it, but he is uh, adamantly opposed to uh, basically anything except free choice to do whatever you want. Now, Dr. Joseph Mercola is even more uh, malignant. He's an individual who um, looks very credible uh, and he's fervently anti-vaccine and, and uh, you know, all this COVID stuff. He has vitamins and zinc and He's made $100 million in profits from bogus antiviral products and has been fined several times by FDA and others for millions of dollars, which probably hasn't touched his profits. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, she's Dr. Magnetic. You know, it, she went to the Ohio State Legislature and, and, and testified that you will be magnetic if you take the vaccine. It turns out they caught her off camera and she knew full well that was ridiculous. And she only said it so she can get attention. She pretty much says that off camera, it's pretty remarkable. She has made hundreds of thousands of dollars profit from anti-vaccine seminars and testifying for law firms in lawsuits. 
There's a new anti-science star named Dr. Dan Stock. Uh, those of you who haven't watched that went viral. He, he went in front of a school board in, um, in a small town in Indiana and said the CDC and Fauci, no one knows what they're talking about. You know, I'm an immunologist and I know all about this and you don't need to do any of this stuff. It was really quite corrosive. Well, I looked into this guy. You'll be proud of me. I spent half an hour. Who is this guy? Well, it's quite interesting. So um, he runs Pure Health Functional Family Medicine Company. Let's see if I can find that. I'm going to skip to that just a second. Here we go. He runs this. And uh, it's a fascinating website where I'm going to read it to you. Experienced family physician with functional integrative medicine training and interest. 30 years of family medicine practice. No longer affiliated with third-party payment systems who probably won't pay them so that I can provide the highest degree of advice driven by in-depth biochemical and anatomic analysis, not by protocols. That would be evidence-based medicine. That's what protocols are. Now, however, he has hourly rates, so you have to pay him $300 an hour to get this very, very insightful advice by an untrained person who claims he's an immunologist, which he's not. He never did a fellowship. That's Dr. Dan Stock, who went viral uh, on, on his, uh, on his uh, testimony to a local school board and totally confused everybody there. So let's go into these doctors one by one. I couldn't resist doing Dan Stock first. Um, Rand Paul is now urging Americans to resist all COVID mandates. Um, you know, this is Newsmax, uh, one of my favorite um, uh, news media outlets. I watch about 10 minutes a week. It's all I can take, but it's really important to watch it because you realize there are a lot of people who believe this stuff. And he's out there, you know, anything, any mandate that removes your personal liberty, uh, anyway, inhibits personal liberty uh, is a problem. Now, I, I would argue with that in that in my belief, uh, personal liberty requires accountability and responsibility to others. That's also America. Uh, it is patriotic to do the right thing to take care of your neighbor. And in fact, uh, some viewers and friends from Iowa sent me this pin that's a patriotic pin that says, I got COVID vaccinated with American flag. It is your patriotic duty to help stop this pandemic. And I, I have a problem with Dr. Paul saying that uh, just do whatever you want. Uh, you should resist anything. It's just, in my belief, a terrible public health leadership. Dr. Mercola, this was in the New York Times, but this guy is a, a little more obviously, um, shall we say, uh, mercantile. Uh, this individual has a vast operation that pushes, this is the article, natural health cures, anti-vaccine uh, propaganda. And then he sells stuff. Instead of vaccines, he sells vitamins and he, even tanning beds. He sold tanning beds for a while called D-Light Tanning Bed. Uh, and uh, he said they reduced the risk of getting cancer when we know it's quite the opposite. Tanning beds actually increase the risk of getting skin cancer. He was fined by the Federal Trade Commission several times, $3 million, but he made $100 million. It was just the cost of doing business. This guy's a doctor. Uh, and, and I think, look at him. He looks very trustworthy, and uh, as, as do many con artists. Um, uh, this is the Stan Stock School Board uh, talk. I urge you to listen to it. And, uh, and you can go onto his website and see if you want to pay him $300 an hour for his advice. And then this is Dr. Tenpenny, who makes hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, actually running around giving her misinformation and charges for it. So look, this is the message finally. This was in our local newspaper. It's the SS anti-vaxxer, which looks like the Titanic going down. And it says, nope, no life jacket for me until I know the long-term effects. 
So, you know, you can wait as the ship goes down in Florida and Alabama, Mississippi, and every ICU bed is filled, or you can get immunized. Now, to me, it's so easy to be patriotic right now. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and get a shot. All you need to do, and we'll get our hands around this pandemic and ultimately get back to normal. But if you don't do that, it's going to be longer and harder and more people will die. These are just the facts. I've shown you some of those facts today. So immunizations work to review. 95% of those hospitalized in the Southeast are unimmunized. The vast majority of deaths are unimmunized. Yes, you can get mild illness if you are immunized. Remember though, if you are immunized and elderly, your immunity probably has waned and you are subject to becoming ill from Delta virus breakthrough infection, so be careful. It is time to up our game. PPEs work. If you're a healthcare provider, use strict adherence to all of the rules in the healthcare workplace. If you are not immunized, as you saw from the ship, you sort of want to do it before the ship sinks. Now is the time to get immunized. When you go out in the community now, wear a mask indoors in stores and places where people gather. You don't know who's got Delta, who's unimmunized, immunized, and you could get a breakthrough even if you're immunized. Wear a mask indoors. If you are sick, even if it's a sniffy nose, unfortunately, we're now in the situation where you're going to need to be tested again. And get that booster. Eight months, post-second dose, it's going to roll out in September. We're going to need to boost people, particularly the elderly, immunocompromised, and probably healthcare providers, teachers, all of those in front of potentially unimmunized people. The good, the bad, the ugly. Summer, year two of the pandemic. The United States of America is in yet another COVID resurgence with huge increases in new cases, hospitalizations, and deaths from the Delta variant. The resurgence is centered in the southeastern U.S. and other parts of the U.S. which are under-immunized. Well-immunized states are also having a resurgence, but one that is so far muted in hospitalizations and deaths. Let's try to keep it that way. Despite dramatic resurgences, uh, and the obvious impact of wearing a mask and getting shots. Politicians, there are some politicians insisting that all mandates interfere with personal freedom and should be forbidden. That will only prolong the pandemic, cause more people to get ill and more people to die. A small group of people, including physicians, are responsible for much of the COVID disinformation on social media. New England and parts of the Northeast are well vaccinated and have strong public health oriented leadership. We are likely to weather this resurgence relatively well. Thank you for your attention. We have time for questions. Thank you, John, once again for um, bringing us direct information and, and great counsel. Really appreciate it. Uh, we have a number of questions, so thank you all for joining us. Uh, we have 227 people, so quite uh, this is, continues to be very popular. Uh, from Jenny Schwab, uh, uh, the question is about masking. Should we be wearing a different mask for the Delta variant, John? I think just wearing a mask that already is the ones that we've been told work is fine. So I wouldn't wear a bandana. Those don't work. A baklava doesn't work. But a surgical mask, N95, whatever you're comfortable with, wear a standardized mask that has been approved previously for use. I think that's fine. Question from Andrea. What is the relative infectivity rate of the Lambda variant? Um, I've heard India got rid of Delta quickly by using Ivermectin. So that's a different question, the Ivermectin question. So the it, first one, infectivity of Lambda variant. You know, I don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, as you saw, it's, it's, it's in uh, Chile and some other countries, Peru. 
I just don't know the answer to that yet. Right now, Delta looks like it's much more infectious than Lambda, but you know, I don't really know. We know that yet. And once Lambda is introduced to the United States, which is inevitable, we'll find out. But I don't know the answer to that yet. The comment on uh, ivermectin uh, as a as a treatment prevention, uh, I haven't seen anything that. that the the is... last papers I saw, there was a placebo-controlled trial that showed no effect. So that was a month or so ago. There have been a series of papers showing no effect uh, using ivermectin. So either in prevention or treatment. I if you have something new, send it, but I haven't seen it. All right. Um, do you know the age group of uh, increased COVID cases in Connecticut? It's a great question. Um, it's mostly um, adults, not elderly. It's that mid-age group, um, adults below the elderly population. Um, and uh, it, it, children so far relatively low key. I know at Connecticut Children's, we've had about six, seven, eight the last couple of weeks. It's not zero, but it's not overwhelming the way it is in Jacksonville, for example, or Little Rock. So, but it's, it's a younger age group than previously because the elderly are so immunized. Now that said, there was an outbreak in a nursing home in Berkshire County, I think in North Adams two weeks ago, 10 days ago, literally. And there were deaths and most of them were immunized. So obviously frail, extreme age is still gonna subject you to potential uh, risk factors to get very sick from COVID, even if you are immunized with Delta variant. From Nelson Walker, uh, the WHO has recommended that the world get at least one dose of vaccine before the US, US starts giving a third dose. Uh, the rationale is to prevent potentially more serious variant mutation. Is the third booster in U.S. short-term gain for wealthy as opposed to long-term suppression of COVID? Well, yeah, you, it's a tough question. I, I would say we need to do both. Uh, I think we need to crank out the vaccines for the developing world and get them out there as fast as we can. And I also believe we need to protect our own population. And the data suggests we're getting breakthroughs because of declining neutralization titers. And a third dose will fix that. I think we need to do that as well. So I think we have to do both. From uh, Danielle Warren, um, it, and, and she's asking about, uh, uh, it will, will, we, will we ever outrun COVID uh, with, with vaccinations given the, the, the mutation capacity of this virus? I, I think the answer to that is we're gonna need to learn to live with COVID. COVID is not going away. So it's gonna become one of these endemic diseases, I believe. Now that means also though, that if we could get the number of cases down, you're gonna have less mutations. So if we could get this community spread under control nationally, immunize the vast majority of people in the United States and have some breakthrough we can manage, you're not gonna have as many mutations that you have to chase. So I think the answer is it's gonna be with us. Um, we're gonna to need to learn to live with it. And that means you protect your population with immunity as best you can and you probably have some change in your behaviors, your public behaviors moving forward. But I, do th I don't think we're gonna have to chase it the way um, you'd worry about. I bet you there'll be an annual shot. It might end up being the annual shot has changed a little bit every year based on the emergence of mutations. I do think we can get on top of this, but I don't think we're gonna eradicate it. Uh, another, another question I'll summarize from, uh, from the Dr. Eisenberg. The, the question is, uh, Given that most of us are vaccinated and the the Delta variant infections may be mildly symptomatic, so you may not have your typical findings, and so you're not going to get necessarily tested or even stay home because you're not sure you have it. Um, what are the organization's thoughts on more frequent testing of team members? And that, you know, that's you know, uh, 
it's a great question. It's sort of one of these questions where there's no right answer. I, I mean, I think uh, ideally, um, if we are wearing our masks 100% of the time in the healthcare facility and self-reporting any illness and staying home immediately, our likelihood of Delta spread is going to be very low. And again, if you look at the data in the hospitals in Connecticut, it's been a minuscule spread of COVID within the hospitals. It's been in the community and you bring it in, but between providers, it's been minuscule. I mean, literally one hand, I think. So PPE and masks work. And that's another response why people say masks don't work. Well, they sure do because we haven't had any cases that we spread around. They work really well. Sorry, those are the data. Um, so I would say masks work really well. And if we stick to our protocols, we're unlikely to spread around. Testing frequently is going to clog up the whole testing network. We really need to be testing people out in the community. So, you know, there's no right answer. There are some companies doing that. And people who don't want to get immunized, they're testing them every couple of weeks. Again, there's no right answer. We've chosen not to do that at Connecticut Children's and to get everyone immunized with few exceptions and to wear a mask 100% of the time and use care and PPE when we need to. Yeah, and just to announce that, you know, most likely we'll be reopening our testing facility uh, or drive-through testing facility here at Connecticut Children's because of that, in, in part, because we want to make it, make, make it easier for our employees to get tested if they're symptomatic, mildly symptomatic, and our patients as well. And, and I think that's just a, dealing with the reality of COVID-19. Not going to be testing people just routinely. No, of course. There's no of symptoms. Course. I mean, the of goal course. is to get people symptomatic. Co correct, correct. Just making it easy for people. Uh, Doug McGilpin asks a similar question, but in this case related to schools. In schools, would you screen asymptomatic, non-vaccinated teachers on a regular basis? If so, how often and which tests would you use? You know, there's no right answer how often. I think the antigen test is less sensitive, and I personally wouldn't use it. I would use a molecular test that does PCR, and they are rapid as well. They are available. CVS will do them. So I would not do an antigen test. I would do a molecular test, preferably PCR, and the frequency... I have no right answer for that uh, because remember, a negative test means you have a negative test that day. Um, it doesn't mean you're, you're incubating, you could be incubating and be positive the next day. So I think we have to be a little careful on that. It would be better to have everyone immunized, frankly. A question from John Pitagoff uh, if there's a reason to space boosters for COVID and influenza. I think the influ uh, the data look like you can give them together without problems. So there's no reason to space. You should give flu and COVID vaccine at the same time. Hidden in that question, though, is maybe we should have spread out the first and second dose of Pfizer and Moderna. And there are some data to suggest that maybe we spread them out a little bit better. You get a better response. And frankly, that third dose, by the way, it's a dramatic increase in neutralizing antibody titers. So you sort of asked two questions in there. So maybe in the future, as we move ahead from out of this pandemic to sort of maintenance, the dosing, dur the duration between first and second dose might be longer, but there's no reason not to give them together. The data look fine with that. From Stacey Chad now, what's your recommendation for children outdoors? Should they wear masks? You know, I think um, outdoors is lower risk. Uh, you don't have the problem of a building and, and airflow. You have infinite airflow. Uh, I think it's low risk, and I think it's important for children to socialize and, and have some sense of social interaction with others. It's really important. We have a grandchild, as many of you have children and grandchildren, and a year away from any other children has really been challenging and not healthy. Now, on the other hand, I think if you have a very crowded town fair and there are 500 people on a town green, you should mask up. So I, I think common sense. 
you know, if you're if you're out in the playground, there are two other kids and they're kicking the ball around. I, I just personally, I, I probably think a mask is not needed. If you're going to an area where there's hundreds of people outdoors, all close together, I'd wear a mask. Uh, from uh, <clears throat> Jen uh, talking back, uh, have you have the booster shots been adapted to accommodate for the Delta variant, um, as as the as what we do with influenza? Um, th there are new RNA formulations that the companies already have. That's correct, and I believe they've incorporated uh, some change in sequence that does cover Delta. I don't think there are a lot of data yet using those quote boosters. Um, when, and what they do know is that just giving the same mRNA sequence to people eight months out give you a dramatic increase in neutralizing antibody starts way above what's required to prevent Delta. So the answer is it's possible maybe next year, next year's booster, you would incorporate that. I think right now they're talking about just using the identical same because the titers are so high that you get you will take care of Delta with that. Yeah, the, the Jennifer, the, the answer is the, the booster is the same one. We, no. There's no new formulation yet uh, at this point, so the booster will be exactly the same one. Uh, from, uh, from Beth Natta, could we have, uh, they want a, one of those pins for the School Board of Ed members, so. I, well, I, I'm not really permitted to, to you know, promulgate any sort of buying over this, but I will get the, uh, Dr. Salazar has the um, email address for them and uh, it's, it's American made and there are people crafting them deliberately for healthcare providers so that there's a little bit of encouragement uh, and it's a beautiful pin. And honestly, it sort of sums it up. It's our patriotic duty to get this country out of this pandemic, for God's sake. Let's just get going and do it. Roll up our sleeves and get to work. So uh, Dr. Salazar has that address. I, I won't say it over the air. Yeah, no, we're not we're we're not selling anything right now. So okay, we can't do that. We can't. But Beth, connect offline with me and I'll help you with that. Uh, should we be telling patients that travel uh, in f from other states to quarantine? Patients who come from the South primarily, should they be quarantining if they did not receive the vaccine? Uh, it's about patients specifically, John. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, you have to go with Connecticut DPH travel guidelines. And at the moment, I just looked a few days ago, I don't think it's changed. They're not recommending um, unless you know you've been exposed and then you're unimmunized, you have to quarantine for 14 days. Now, I would say in my, I mean, just common sense, looking at the hotspot maps, do you really wanna to go to Florida or Mississippi or Alabama or Louisiana right now? And I would say, no, I mean, they're, they have rampant Delta spread that's completely uncontrolled and a highly unimmunized population. So I think you need to use common sense. We are not specifically, I don't know, uh, Juan, you can check. I don't, didn't see Connecticut DPH had changed any travel rules. That could change. Um, but right now, the, the same travel rules, and you are permitted to travel. Obviously, if any symptoms get tested immediately and quarantine, particularly if you're unimmunized. So that's where we are with it. But common sense needs to prevail. Look at that map and make some smart decisions for you and your family. John, a couple of questions here about uh, when will uh, mRNA vaccines or even Johnson & Johnson be available for younger people? It's a great question. I know the data are, uh, particularly the mRNA vaccines, I don't know about J&J, they have a lot of data down to like age five now. And I know they're gonna push that in front of the FDA um, probably in the next four, six weeks. And I believe there'll be an emergency use authorization sometime this fall for children down to a certain age. I'm making it up, maybe five or six. I don't think it's gonna be for infants yet. So I, I'm optimistic. I think the data have been gathered. It looks really good. Kids make really good antibody titers. There's been very little problem. Same sort of aches and pains that you see in adults. 
Uh, and um, I, I think I'm optimistic that it would be this fall that we'll start having an emergency youth authorization for younger children. Here's a question. Uh, if someone mistakenly get, got one shot of Pfizer, one shot of Moderna, is there a recommendation for the booster shot? Uh, uh, that's a great question. For remember, uh, a few months ago, I should bring it back, but there is a mix and match study and it looks really good. I mean, you got J&J, you got the MRA vaccine, you made great titers, you got the mRNA vaccine, you got boosted with, actually it was uh, the British version of J&J. Uh, you looked- you looked, It was AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca, yeah. you got really good titers. So mix and match worked. Nobody seems to have any side effect problems. And I believe it's gonna work. The reason it's gonna work, it's the same antigen that you're producing in spike protein. So there's no reason immunologically it wouldn't boost. That said, you know, the FDA has lots of rules. I think in that case, you just give whatever you had, whether it's Moderna or Pfizer, you would just give it. If you look at the official FDA recommendations, they say to give the third dose of the same vaccine that you received the first two doses. So if you have Pfizer, you're supposed to get Pfizer, Moderna, Moderna. But there is a little phrase in there saying, well, if you can't do it, you know, anything will probably be fine. It's sort of in there, hidden away. So, you know, I think what's going to happen realistically is you're going to do your best effort to get that third dose um, into somebody, uh, a identical vaccine. But if you say you, all you have is Moderna and a Pfizer person walks in and they're high risk, you know, transplant patient, you need to get some in, you're going to give them what you have so that they can boost because mix and match probably works, but it's not the way FDA would like you to do it because they don't have data showing that they have data showing boosting is really good if you got the same third dose. So we're going to have to make some judgment calls. And it looks like the FDA gave us some wiggle room to do that. If you look at their um, official recommendation. Great question from Tom Fromson. Um, and, and he thanks you for providing the, this remarkable information. If you could review best practices um, for in-office testing. Currently, we test any febrile infection patient outside the building first, many things. You know, again, there's no right answer. A month ago, I would have said, you know, there's no community spread. We have RSV. You could maybe dial that down a little bit. Now, you saw the map, Delta's everywhere. You're, we are stuck making sure that every respiratory illness is not COVID. So you're kind of stuck back to where we were a couple of months ago, unfortunately. So I would test uh, people who are ill, unfortunately. And the reason is because even though you're immunized, we know with Delta, if you got it, you have a chance of getting breakthrough and spreading it around. So you're gonna to need to know. So the answer is, unfortunately, I would probably test respiratory illnesses again. Yeah, and I think some uh, there's now good <clears throat> good data connecting uh, milder forms, more typical of an upper respiratory infection with COVID-19 in children with the Delta variant as opposed to the prior version. And in fact, um, one of the comments here is my 18-month-old twins just tested positive yesterday. They're in daycare, their only exposure where there have been no reported cases. Their symptoms are extremely mild and I only test them because I'm very cautious. I worry many parents do not recognize mild cold symptoms as possibly COVID and we're in a rapid spread through daycares. Do we need to update testing guidelines for daycares to be more aggressive in testing? I, I agree completely. Um, and remember, I, I think children are unlikely to get seriously ill, but it's not zero and they do spread it around. And so there are others who are unimmunized out there who could get seriously ill. So it is in our interest to identify positive cases of Delta and stop the spread. And remember that will also reduce the likelihood of yet even more variants causing problems in the United States. So there's so many reasons for us not to allow spread, even if you're mildly ill. Yeah, the, the other question related to that is, would you also test children with GI symptoms such as vomiting and diarrhea? And again, that, that same information from the, uh, the comparing 
um, diseases does not support that GI illness is a common presentation of the Delta variant in small children. So. That, yeah, that's a great point Juan mentions. If you go back before Delta, we had some GI presentations of COVID. I mean, some of them were pretty GI oriented, vomiting, diarrhea. That's much, 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 much less so with Delta. And it's really a URI presentation, which is different. So I think that also should guide your testing. Any new advice, uh, timing, testing, exposure, and duration of quarantine due to Delta? I think it's the same. Uh, the advice is the same. I mean, there've been a couple of things. If you go to the CDC website, I just looked at this yesterday, actually. If you're unimmunized and you're exposed, they want you to be tested the day, you, day after and then a week later. They want two tests if you're unimmunized. If you're immunized, the CDC is suggesting uh, three to five days after your contact to get your COVID test wear a mask for two weeks, um, even if, you, particularly if you're asymptomatic, obviously. So I think um, the CDC has defined some differences in testing, whether you're immunized. I mean, I don't know the data for that, uh, but that's there now. John, last question. Uh, and again, can you clear up the issue of this being exper experimental because the FDA hasn't approved it? Can you just yeah, so into that? This vaccine is, is um, the, the process is, remember, way back, it seems like just yesterday, but we sat through some of those hearings, the FDA for the emergency use. And what it was, was full court press data presented by a pharma company, thousands and thousands of people immunized and placebo controlled and looking at cases and any side effect. The data were terrific. The hearings were very vigorous. And then the ACIP, who have no pharma link, reviewed what the FDA reviewed and a decision was made for emergency use authorization. Now, the only reason that wasn't full authorization was there's, a, there's time involved with the regulatory process and they hadn't fulfilled that time yet. So we will soon, and you will see this vaccine will be authorized as a regular vaccine shortly because the FDA regulatory time intervals will be fulfilled. So this is not experimental and the authorization process for emergency use was quite rigorous and part of the licensing process. It wasn't, you know, some thing pulled out of the air. I'd also make the comment, the um, mRNA vaccines in particular have been given to 200 million plus Americans, hundreds of millions of people, and, and without a lot of problems. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up saying, because I get this email, I get, you know, there's one person, um, all 40,000 people died from the vaccine, okay? And the reality is, you know, Juan and I, others pulled all these data, and what the follow-up shows in, in some of the CDC uh, data collections that any death after vaccination, they have to record is what they do. And a lot of those are motor vehicle accidents and homicides and other things. They have nothing to do with getting the vaccine. The actual death from the vaccine, they haven't really been able to link a case. Uh, you know, so I, I think um, it's unlikely to cause that problem. Thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of doses have been given. So it's not experimental. In fact, it's probably one of the largest vaccine trial in history at this point with this many millions of people been given without with tremendous protection and i'll tell you you know look at that florida hospitals data that's real-time data they put on twitter because they couldn't get it on the public health site because the governor blocks it showing hundreds of patients hospitalized today and this many who are immunized okay so that's real-time data from an enormous delta outbreak in the state of florida if you look at Connecticut, New England, Vermont, we have an uptick. We have this many people in the hospital and this much death rate. And if we could stay the course, 
continue immunizing under-immunized communities in, in the area, wear a mask when we go indoors and use caution, up our game because we know Delta is more contagious and don't use denial. Don't walk into Brugger's Bagel with your 90 year old dad and think it's all okay without wearing a mask because it's not. So up our game, I think we, New England will weather this well. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of the country is not there. So we're out of time. Um, thank you for what you do. Everyone out there, nurse, doctor, parent, Danbury nurse who I met recently, um, uh, parents, patients, whatever state you're in, thank you for what you do and for your support and be well. Thank you, John. And again, thank you for all 220 that join, including uh, school nurses from uh, throughout the state of Connecticut. Uh, we will see you again. Uh, be uh, be aware of the, the actual dates. I don't have them in front of me. Uh, I think well, some, September, September 10th, 10th we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back. Uh, John will have a week of vacation. He's going to spend some time swimming in hurricane uh, water. So, uh, John, take care. Take care, everyone. We'll see you again. Bye-bye.